You guys are too far away. Sorry. Am I going to mess you up, Bill? No. Okay. Although this is in the sun. Mm, all right. Good morning, church. Um, this morning, I, it's funny you prayed that because I didn't talk to Matt. I don't actually really have a sermon. I have a journey to take you on for what has been my month of May. And I don't know if, if a lot of you know. Um, I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity. Help me to get out of the way. Speak what you want to speak and skip what you want to skip. Amen. Um, the month of May is kind of a hard month for me. Uh, seven years ago, my dad passed away this weekend, suddenly of, a, of an aneurysm. Um, is this too close? It just sounds loud. Uh, two years ago, my mom passed away of an aneurysm. Uh, and then obviously Rebecca was really close and near and dear to our hearts. Um, so it's kind of a month of death, for lack of a better word. Um, and it's funny because I was coming into this May and I didn't even notice that we were coming up to May because, wow, trying to end a school year teaching or science, running a track team and headed into the, the qualifying rounds of the postseason and... Oh, my word. And and then picking back up the youth group, right, and being like, okay, let's plan the youth group. And I, all of a sudden, May was here, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. And I didn't even notice that May was here. And then I'm at a track meet um, on the 4th, and it's the league meet. And all of our other meets have been huge and amazing, and this is like, feels like a practice. Um, it was brutal. And I'm watching my daughter run. This is the first year she's taken up running. If you don't know, I used to run. Um, and so we've been out of sports. We've been out of all of this. And my daughter's running the 3200, which she really doesn't want to run. Uh, it's like eight laps around the track. It's brutal. Um, and she's all by herself, and she's just running. And she's running and running and running. But I'm looking at her stride, right, like some coach. And I'm watching her stride. I was like, man, that's a nice stride. Like, it's so powerful. It's so good. And I'm watching this. And then I'm like, I wonder what I looked like when I ran. And you know how fast your thoughts go? I could ask my parents. I can't ask my parents. My parents would be in the stands right now. They would be up there. They would be cheering for her. While I'm down here having to be coached, my parents would be in the stands. And in one second, I'm like simultaneously crying and weeping over the loss of my parents and the influence my parents were supposed to have in my kids' lives. And I'm proud and I'm happy for what Kylie is doing out there and that I get a chance to see it. And I was like, oh, this is weird. I think I'm crazy. Um, and so I went to bed that night thinking I was crazy. And then the next morning, I kid you not, I'm reading in Ezra. Yeah, Ezra will be um, definitely a passage you should be reading after that. But it actually says, so remember that Ezra is, uh, the Jerusalem has fallen to Nebuchadnezzar, right? And Ezra is a priest, and he's, he goes back in with the first group of people that head back into Jerusalem. Um, and in Ezra 3.3, it says, despite their fear of the people around them, they built an altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both morning and the evening. In verse 10, it says, when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments with their trumpets, the Levites with cymbals, took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. 
His love towards Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Hallelujah. But many of the older priests and the Levites and the family heads who had seen the former temple wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. <laughs> Simultaneous weeping and joy in the same moment over the same event. I almost sat up in my chair. Wait a minute, this was me. Wait, maybe I'm not crazy. Maybe this is actually like a biblically okay thing that I might be experiencing these kinds of things at the same time. So then I decided, well, then we better just figure this out. We better like go through scripture, right? If you guys don't ask questions and then like search it out with God, you need to do this. It's phenomenal. He'll answer a million questions all along the way that you didn't even try to ask. Um, but it's a fun journey to go on with God. Um, but I digress. My shock uh, made me realize that I think I had grown up believing there was only one thing that happened with mourning. Mourning turned into joy, right? And that's scriptural, right? The, the, in the morning, yeah, yeah. There's lots of scriptures on that. But I realized that I thought that was all there was, that mourning would turn into joy. And I was having kind of a guilt that I was still mourning over my parents. I mean, maybe not my mom, that's kind of recent, but my dad, that's a while ago. Why am I not as a good Christian, like fully got this mourning turned into joy? And so I thought, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go look it up. As it turns out, I'm not the first person to think about this. Uh, but, and I, Barnabas Piper, who's John Piper's son, he's put it this way. I don't like the word happiness, but just go with this. The Bible reframes happiness for us by making it more complex. We tend to think of being happy or sad, but scripture depicts a sort of happiness in the midst of sadness. In this life, we will have trouble, but in this life, we will have happiness. And this doesn't mean being an, on an emotional yo-yo, even though sometimes it feels that way, but rather experiencing two things at once. One being the damage caused by the sin of this world, and the other being the happiness given to us by God. And that verse obviously is John 16:33. I've told you these things so that in you may have peace and in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So in this world, we have trouble, right? But in me, in Christ, we have peace. As long as we're in this world, we are going to have both of these. But what's his conclusion? He says, take heart. I have overcome the world. That word take heart, and you're going to love this. Having hope, not getting discouraged, not losing faith, and living life joyfully. So that command from Jesus is, but live life joyfully. I have overcome the world. So what I discovered was that both of these things are true. God does turn mourning into joy. But there's just as much evidence that we're going to experience simultaneously joy and weeping at the same moment. So um, an example, I thought I, I was like, 
I would like to give an example of Jesus turning mourning into joy. Um, but I was like, oh, I don't have to go very far. Jesus said this. In John 16, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he's talking to his disciples, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for the joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. And I was thinking about this and I was like, I have a really good example of this in my life. I, my daughter was born um, at 24 weeks. So six months, when I was six months pregnant, it was a big, big thing that I'm not going to go into. Um, but when her first birthday rolled around, I, we were coming up on that and we, she was in the hospital for five of those months and our lives hadn't gotten to a normal probably until a couple months before her birthday. And I was like, no, I don't want to celebrate this day. This is the worst day of my life. How am I supposed to, and I'm, and then I'm having all this guilt, right? I'm a mom. How can I call my kid's birthday the worst day of my life? Um, and so I finally called my mom and I was like, mom, I don't know what to do. I don't want to celebrate this day. And she was like, well, you don't have to celebrate the day. You can celebrate what God has done in spite of that day. And I was like, what? Like, let's roll this. And, and so I started thinking about it and I thought, the enemy came in to steal, kill, and destroy. He tried to kill both of us. And God was like, eh, no, sorry. They got to both live, right? Um, he tried to kill, steal, and destroy our faith, Micah and I, in the middle of all of that, and our marriage, and all of the other things that were tried during that time. And God was like, no. And that day, in an instant, became a day of victory for me and for our family. And I was like, yes. And then every year her birthday comes around. And I'm like, ha ha ha, see? Like, look what God has done. She's not even blind. She's supposed to be on a respirator. Like I just go, I go down my list of things, right? This is what the Lord has done. That is taking a day of mourning, shifting it completely and turning it into a day of joy, all right? But on the other side, there are things that I don't think will be redeemed this side of heaven. And that's hard. I don't think I'm ever going to look back at my parents' deaths and go, yay, joy. But I have joy. Because the joy of the Lord and the joy that I have because of him, because of his promises, because of everything that he has done for me is always a cup that's full. It is always here. And in spite of what's going on in this world and the sin of this world and the trials of this world and everything that comes in, I'm going to be sad. I am going to mourn. I am going to be unhappy. But my joy never changes. And at any moment, I can turn and I can look at the joy of the Lord. And I can know truth. So I thought it was funny because... Let me see here. I think I wrote it. Hold on. <clears throat> I was like, we can't lose our complete hope, right? Where's our hope? Our hope is in, in the future. He says it in Revelations. He says, you will wipe away every tear 
from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, nor, nor wait, for the former things have passed away. All right. So I bring that up because there will be a time when all mourning is turned into joy. All of it will. But while we're on this planet and we're living with each other and we're interacting with each other, we have to embrace this idea that they're all mixed up. And they're mixed up for me and they're mixed up for you. And we need to embrace each other in this journey. Um, I put, this is my thing. There will be a time when we will mourn no more, but it is not today. I can weep and have joy in the Lord simultaneously. I can mourn that I really miss my mom and my dad and thank God that he's always with me and never leaves me. I can thank him that he's walking me through this. My joy in the Lord does not change and is not altered. So I can stand here on a Sunday morning and lift my hands and praise my Savior when the words speak of his faithfulness and his unending love. And I can weep when the words are about all my life you have been faithful. All my life you have been so, so good. Because I ponder my life and the number of ways that he has been faithful. And I'm reminded of the pain of those experiences. Church, can we be okay in the mess? Can we be okay being together simultaneously having grief and sorrow and sin and yet the joy of the Lord and hope and everything that he brings? That's how we're going to survive. So um, I have to tell you another story. Uh, <laughs> I, earlier this month, I sat down with a young lady and she was like, I just need to meet with you. And I was like, okay, oh boy. And she said, how come you're so confident? And I was like, what? I am not confident. And I was like, oh no. You know how like your mind races and you're like smiling at the person across from you. And I'm like, no, 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 no. I've given off the wrong impression. She thinks that I'm confident. Like in me? In who I am? I, what? And I was like, oh my gosh. So I prayed. Because I was like, oh, Lord, help me out here. Um, and then I opened my mouth, and I really quickly clarified, eh, I am not confident in me. <laughs> I am confident in Christ and Christ in me. I am confident in him, and maybe you see that as, as me being confident in myself. I'm, but it is all in Christ. It has nothing to do with me. Um, and she goes, okay, uh, but how do you get there? And I was like, what? How do you get there? Like a heads up, girl, send me this question like two weeks ago. Like I just, I was so clueless and I'm sitting there going, literally blank, God, uh, help me out here. So I start talking and have you ever done that thing where you're like, you've prayed and, you're, and then you start talking and you start listening to yourself and you're like, whoa, this is good, right? Because God is speaking and he's like, okay, so... I start telling her this story. I said, I'm like, I'm like, you know what? When I was nine years old, uh, my parents moved us. We went to Africa. And so we left the country, left everything I've ever known. And two days later, they drop us off at a boarding school and leave us there. Um, and we started this process over the next six years of being there of being engaged with my parents and then them dropping us off in spite of us asking them to not leave us and leaving us again and again and again for six years. 
And on top of that, when you're on the mission field, missionaries leave every year. And it just became this cycle of everyone in my life leaves and even my parents who are supposed to be these people over me, they leave me too. Um, I can't rely on anyone. And I became this really hard, hard-hearted kid. Um, so when we moved back to the States, uh, I was almost 16, and, and life got even harder. Um, but God started to try to get a hold of me. And when I was 18, I got baptized, and I was like, okay. The, one of the first things God decided to work on was this whole abandonment piece because he realized, and I didn't know at the time, but he realized I was hard to him because he was going to leave me too in spite of what he said in scripture about leaving me. Um, and so, so we, I head into college and the first thing that happens is my, my boyfriend and I break up and I'm like, all right, we'll try this experiment thing. I'm going to turn to you, God, instead of away from you. So I turned to God and I was like, whoa, I'm feeling comforted in my heart and I have peace in my, in my head and in my being. And I was like, oh my gosh. Okay, God, so like, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted and you're here. I know you're here because I can sense that comfort and that I feel that peace. And so I was like, okay, maybe this will work. Well, within the first year of college, my roommate left, my teammate left. Uh, by the end of the first year, I was the lone freshman standing on our team. And it was like, an onslaught of just people leaving. And so I was like, wow, this is crazy. But every single time somebody left, I thought, okay, God, want to try that again? Like, let's, why don't you comfort me in this? And, and as I started to do that, we call it in, in youth, we call it the muscle, like the comfort, like the turning to God, the trust muscle. My trust muscle is slowly getting stronger and stronger. So I got this trust muscle that I'm lifting little five-pound weights. Because really, I mean, freshman year of college roommate is, is probably not my best friend, right? So, so it's a little two-pound weight, you know? And then my teammates, well, that might be a five-pound weight. And we just continue to increase this weight. And this trust muscle in Jesus is growing and growing. Um, to the point where I was starting to really believe this, like, God's not going to leave me. I really think he's not going to leave me. This is insane. So when Emily was born, and I was pretty convinced at this point, okay, God's not going to leave me. This is going to be okay. I, we, there's a big long story, but my husband and I ended up in a closet in our house, and we were praying about wh what was even going to happen. And the presence of the Lord just descended. And it was ridiculously like the kind where you're like hovering with your eyes closed and you're like, want to peek out to see if you can actually see him. Right. Like, oh, my goodness. Um, and I knew in an instant he didn't say anything. He didn't change anything. He didn't do anything. He was just there. And I knew that his presence was all I needed. I knew that it was enough. And in that moment, he sealed in my heart, hey, I am always with you. There's nothing you can do that will cause me to leave. There's nothing that can happen to you that will cause me to leave. I was like, oh my goodness, okay, I get, I, all right, right? And, and then I started moving out in confidence in that. So when my dad passed away, which was, uh, in my mind, a very unjust thing of God to have done, um, I was pretty confident 
that I could approach God in my anger to. And I went to him and I said, I know you're not going to leave me. I have to say this. And I vented everything. And you know what he did? <laughs> he didn't just let me know he was there. He answered my questions. And he calmed all of my fears. Like he came in harder when I came at him like that. And that was the end of it. That was, God's never going to leave me. That's the end of the story. It doesn't even matter. So when my mom passed away two years ago, there wasn't a question. I, I wasn't questioning God, are you going to leave me? There's a lot of other questions. But not that one. That one was settled in my heart. That one I was confident on. And I'm talking to this young lady, and I said, and now you see. Like, right, we, we know in our head, but then we, t we trust God in these little situations, and we continue to trust God in these little situations, and then the little situations become these bigger situations, and then these bigger situations, they seal what God is and who he is in us because he is who he says he is. It's amazing. Every single time, he will be what he said he was going to be. Blows my mind. Um, but this is the truth of who he is. And then here's what happens. You go, oh, wait a second. So if you said you would always be with me, you would always be with me, and you have been, does that make all of the rest of everything that you said true too? Wait a second. So is salvation real? Is heaven real? Am I actually going to go to a place with you for all of eternity? Heck yes. He died on a cross for that, man. That was a big price. But, you know, are you, are you always, always true? Are you always faithful? Are you always good in spite of everything that I see around me? Yeah. And it gives me the faith to believe those things. All right? And now I step out in confidence because this is the piece that she saw and thought was me. I step out in confidence and, and, and a kid comes to me and they're like, oh, I don't know, I, don't, I just don't feel like God's here. What? God's not here? Are you serious? No! Like, right? There's this confidence in the, no, don't question that one. Like, uh, yeah, I have to be calm about it. But anyhow, so, uh, but fast forward a, a couple of weeks and actually this last week, Wednesday night, I'm not kidding, Tim is doing the lesson and he does the lesson on Romans five, the first five verses. And, and he says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, so since we've been made right with God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings it's that glory, people. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character. And character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And uh, so Tim puts these words on the board, right? Across the board, he's like, suffering, right? And then, and he starts with the suffering one because he's like, what do you guys think of when they're suffering? And they're like, death, like earthquakes, fires. They're naming all of these giant things. And he's like, actually, the word in the Greek is actually just pressure. Um, we would probably translate it stress. And 
And he's like, now when I say pressure or stress, what do you think of? And they're like, uh, school, <laughs> tests, uh, friends. And they start naming all of these normal, ordinary things. And all of a sudden, the scripture dropped from this is for everyone who's in hard times to this is for everyone. All right. And then he goes on in the next word, and he's like, it's perseverance. Uh, perseverance is actually the word that we have talked about multiple times, the cheerful endurance. They shouldn't have translated it perseverance. It's cheerful endurance. Okay, just checking. All right, because if we persevere, then perseverance leads to character. So he gives this example of his cookies. His sister used to, like, take his cookies. And he used to, he used to respond in anger, and he's like, I'm going to choose patience this time. And so he decides to respond in patience. And then um, as he responded in patience, uh, he, he, he exercised that trust muscle that God was going to take care of these things. All right, and then... Actually, what ended up happening is, is this has happened over and over again, and he keeps choosing patience. Patience became a part of his character. It became a part of who he was. And as he saw the patience becoming a part of his character and who he was, he had hope. He had hope that God was working in him, that God would continue to work in him. He started to have hope in this idea that, hey, if God can, you know, grow me and give me patience and do all of these things, then maybe he can do all these other things as well. The peace, the kindness, the goodness. And there was hope in that area. And, and then, then he left it, and I was like, okay. And I, it, I almost raised my hand because I was like dying inside. I was like, there's more to the hope, peace. There's more. But then I was like, no, wait, these are kids. Let them go. Um, so I was like, but here's the thing about hope. Hope, right? We've got this idea. Okay, we're going to rejoice in our suffering. Eh. Yes, we are, because any and all pressure, we're going to rejoice in that, right? And it's going gonna, it's gonna to develop in us character, and then that character will lead to hope. But hope, hope is expected confidence. So it's, uh, let me make sure I get this right. Hope is confidence in an expected outcome, okay? So this is something I expect to have happen, and our hope is based in God. It is a confidence in God. It's a confidence in God's character, a confidence in the promises he makes. So if our hope is in the Lord, that means we aren't putting our hope in the things of this world. And if we go to the little cookie example, right? I, I think it was Grace that said, well, and the other piece is, you know, if, if I start to lose something that isn't just a cookie, I have hope that I'm still going to experience the peace that you gave me over the cookie. I'm going to experience that when I lose my cell phone. I'm going to experience that when I lose my or I get a bad grade on my test. I have hope that I'm still going to experience that peace right, in other situations. Um, but I want to, I want to, this is bothering me. Um, I think that the hope piece is a lot more critical than we're giving it. Um, because when I truly believe that God is with me, Literally, no matter what, I can fully let go of the things that this world asks me to cling to, right? If I, if the world says, hey, you need to live in fear, you could lose everything. Could I? I mean, maybe everything that you think is valuable, but can I lose Jesus? Can I lose his presence? I can't, so that's a lie. 
so I'm not going to live in fear. All right? You could die. Well, good. Hallelujah. I'll go to heaven. All right? You don't, don't spend that money. What if you don't have enough? But don't I believe that Jesus is my provider and that he's going to provide for everything that I need? So why would I live in fear of thinking that I need to come up with everything that I need? All right? It, I can look at what the world can, tells me to cling to, and I can say, I no. And I can live in the confidence, in the hope, the expected outcome that I have of Jesus, and I can live in freedom. So my question to you, church, oh boy, <clears throat> are you ready to live out of the freedom that he's already granted you? It is yours. It's already in your possession. Sometimes we have to live like it's true first and then watch it come true and then go, see, told you it was true. <laughs> All right. Uh, other times we just have to ask God to give us the faith to trust him and to walk into it. Do I really believe this? We have to ask ourselves this. Do I really believe it? Because if I do, it will change my life. It will change how I live. Do I believe that God is sovereign? That means he's on his throne, he's in control, and he's in charge of everything. Do I believe that? Then I'm not going to live in fear of what's happening in my world. The world can rage and everything can happen. I don't live in fear of that. I can engage with it, but I'm not scared. Because God is sovereign and he didn't get off his throne. Do I believe that God knew exactly who he was going to create when he created me? Do I believe that? Did he know exactly when in history he wanted to place me? Do I believe it? Then whatever he's calling me to, I've got to get into it. What? He made me for this. This is not a confidence in who I am. It's going, hey, God, if you, who are faithful and true and sovereign and all of these other things, are made me for this place and this time, who am I to step out of that and say, sorry, I'm not a good speaker. I'm sorry, Moses came to mind. <laughs> who am I to tell God, I'm sorry, what you made wasn't good enough. But beyond that, he knew what community you were going to be in. He knows who you were called to minister to. Parents, I'm going to go after you. If this is true about God, if he is sovereign, if all of these things are true, and then he put these kids in your house, you are exactly what your kids need. Exactly your flaws, your weaknesses, every piece of who you are at this moment in time is what your kids need to grow up to be the men and women of God that he has designed them to be. Can we embrace that? Can we forgive ourselves when we make mistakes? Can we forgive ourselves when we yell at our kids? And then can we show them, hey, that was wrong. I screwed up. Let me show you what I do when I screw up. I forgive. I ask God to forgive me. I ask other people to forgive me. And you model this. Right? 
Because if it's true that God is sovereign, if it is true that God is all of these things and he has placed you here, you are supposed to be their parents. So parent well and parent hard and trust God. Say, hey, lead me, guide me. Are you telling me to come down on my kids right now? Then I'm gonna come down on my kids. If you're telling me to love them right now, I'm gonna love them. But you've been called to this. And if you believe that God is in control, you have to step into it. Um, do you believe that you are forgiven? Um, do you think that I am standing up here speaking to you because I have a perfect past and I have lived my life perfectly and that's why I'm allowed to talk? Just so you guys know. Uh, no. In fact, I spent my entire 20s arm wrestling with God over the fact that I wasn't even allowed to be a leader because of some things that had happened in my childhood. And he finally called me to the carpet one day and said, hey, you're believing a lie. And I said, okay, let's try this out. I'm going to call up my best friend. I'm going to tell her what happened. So I call up my best friend. I just need to tell you something. And I unload. And she's like, whoa. Well, that sucks. And I was like, okay. She's like, why are you bringing it up? I was like, because oh, I don't know. Felt like God told me to. And she was like, are you forgiven? Have you confessed this to God? Have you apologized to the people around you? Yeah. So you're forgiven. I said, yeah. So you're letting something that you are forgiven for hold you back. You are living in shame and guilt over something that you've been forgiven of. And I was like, oh, okay. All right, that's okay. So I left it, called up my second friend. <laughs> second friend gives me the exact same response tells me that I'm being ridiculous. I am forgiven. And if I believe that I am forgiven, then I will follow God into whatever he's called me into. And I was like, oh my goodness. So it changed everything. I'm actually forgiven. Like, I don't have to live in the guilt of that. I don't have to care if all of you find out what happened in my past because I'm forgiven and I'm actually free from the guilt of that sin. And because I am free from the guilt of that sin, I can actually stand up here and tell all of you, you can be free from the guilt of the sin. It actually puts me in a place where I can say, hey, I relate. And Jesus sets you free. And when you are free by Christ, you are free indeed. So, Church, when we're truly believing that all is God telling God is telling us, there's nothing but freedom on the other side. I want to encourage you today to not stop the journey. Jesus stuck with it. it says in Hebrews 12 too, right, that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. I don't think the joy or the cross was very joyful. I'm pretty confident that in the middle of that pain, he wasn't having joy. But he knew what was coming. He knew that if he endured, he would be able to offer salvation to all of us. He knew that if he held on, there was joy on the other side. And he was so excited about what was on the other side, he was willing to endure the cross. 
And this is what he calls us to. In those verses, he says, you fix your eyes on Jesus and be just like Christ. Fix your eyes on Jesus and say, hey, for what is on the other side, for the joy that is on the other side, I will endure through all of this. So I think sometimes we as Christians think enduring is like, uh, like barely making it through. I'll just put my head down, submit, fine, it's God's will that I do this. I'm just going to survive. I'm going to survive this weekend. I'm going to survive. But I, I said it before, what is the word for endurance? That perseverance. It is cheerful endurance. We weren't meant to just sort of kind of halfway survive this planet and be like, hey, Jesus offers freedom, but not live in the freedom ourselves. We were meant to live in the freedom so that we can offer it to everyone else. Jesus set you free. He already paid it. It's done. And you get to live in that freedom. And you get to tell everyone else how to live in that freedom. Because why? You know what it is to live under the burden of sin. And it's a hellish place to be. Set people free. Last but not least, Jesus calls us to live in community. And I think that we need to be willing to engage with others a lot more than we have. If you've ever been that person who someone comes up and they have a huge emotional weight and you're like, oh, I don't want to engage with that. And you try to find a way out. Okay, you're not alone. <laughs> Me too. Uh, but I don't, this is no longer what Jesus is calling us into. He's calling us to engage. He's calling us to say, hey, you know what? Here's my money. I don't, I don't need it. It's okay. Jesus is going to provide. He's calling us to get up off of our couches and get out there and start engaging with other people. Oh, I just don't have the time. I don't have the time to do this. I don't have the time to do that. But I can binge watch a show for eight hours straight right? I can do, like, I can get on my phone and I can play my game for two hours, but I don't have time to engage with the hurt, the real hurt that you have in your life. Really? We are called to be Jesus's hands and feet. And I think it's time we have to lay down all of these things that we've been clinging to, live in the freedom that he has called us to, and not just share it with everyone else, but within this community, engage with each other. Engage in the pain and in the joy. Tell people it's okay, you're not crazy, that you're both crying and joyful in the Lord at the same time. Tell people how to be real, how to be a real person, and still keep walking with Jesus. That's all I got. So, where's there? There you are. Wasn't it a blessing to hear from Becky? Amen. Yeah. You know, I, you listen to her, and so, much, so many of us have had those same, same stories, same things. Uh, let me read this passage that uh, she gave me. This is from Hebrews 10, 32. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light. 
when you are endured in a great conflict full of suffering. That's pressure, remember? Remember? You guys got to remember that. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were treated so. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had, a, had better lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere fully or cheerfully, uh, how would you say it? Cheerfully endure. <laughs> so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what, has, what he has promised. And going down to 39, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the, the word that you gave Becky. Thank you for the life that you've given her or allowed her to live through, um, the ups and downs, the trials. But God, you use those today to bless us, to encourage us, to grow our faith, to grow our heart muscle. And to realize, Lord, as we look back at our past, to see what you've worked and done in our lives and who you say you are, to give us hope for what's ahead. Thank you, Jesus, for being our hope. Thank you for being real. Thank you for being there. You are alive and you are active. Thank you for allowing us to hear what you've said through Becky today. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.